If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2. Last week, uh, if you were here, we were in the book of Revelation, looking at the church of Ephesus. And this week, we are going to be in Ephesians. And we're, we're kind of hitting rewind about 30 or so years to the church in Ephesus. Um, so specifically, we're going to start in verse 19 here in just a moment. But before we get there, uh, a few years ago, there was this kind of movement that went through the church world. I noticed it because that's like the world that I live and work in, right? Um, but, but a few years ago, there was this movement that kind of went through, and uh, it felt like every church had some form of like a t-shirt or a coffee mug or a bumper sticker or, or something that just said, I love my church. I don't know if Valley Creek had any of those. I wasn't around at that point in time. Uh, but the church I was at, I had one of those shirts, right? I love, or it was, it was I heart my church is, is actually what it was. Um, and I know that kind of a lot of churches kind of put that stuff out there. Uh, and, and now in hindsight, when I go back and think about that, um, one of the things I, I would ask now is, what do you, wh- why do you love your church? Like, what is it you love about your church? Okay, that's a good question for you to answer. You don't have to answer it out loud, but just to think about, like, why do you love your church? And, and my guess is if we were, you, you rewind back kind of whenever that was a thing, seven, eight years ago. My guess is that if you were to ask most people, why do you love your church? Uh, the response would be something fairly surface level. Things like, just some things I, I wrote down, maybe... Um, I love my church because the music is good. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I love my church because uh, we have great programs for children and for students and they enjoy coming. Again, nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's I love my church because the preacher keeps me awake most Sundays. Right? Nothing wrong with that. I hope that's true here. Uh, It could be I, I love my church because our church does a lot of stuff in the community. That's a good thing. All those are good things. All those are right things. All those are things that I hope that we would be increasingly known for as a church. And I hope those would be reasons that you love your church. But but if our love for the church kind of stays right there at those surface level things, um, excuse me, like I think we miss kind of the heart of what the church really is and the whole point and purpose of the church. Because again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but there's, there's more for us as the church, which brings us to Ephesians 2. Right, Ephesians 2, a letter written to a church. We kind of highlighted a lot of that last week. I'm not going to rehash it. Uh, but the church in Ephesus, right, this is Paul. He showed up in Ephesus. He planted the church in Ephesus. Then he went on and did missionary work. And then he heard about stuff going on in Ephesus. So he writes a letter back to them to kind of remind them of, of some things. And so... Specifically in Ephesians chapter 2, what you have is the first 10 verses or so are really one of the clearest explanations of salvation. It's Paul talking about how, this is not going to be on the screens, but if you've got it there in front of you, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says that, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been 
saved. And he goes down a few verses later in verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, so Paul here in Ephesians 2 kind of begins the chapter um, outlining like this is what salvation is. It's something you don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't achieve it. It's a gift you receive by God's grace. You receive it through faith, through trusting in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then from that point, the next few verses in chapter 2 is Paul goes on to talk about and explain how because of that salvation, right, because by faith they've trusted in Jesus, uh, they've received the gift of salvation, they've been reconciled to God, they've been united to Christ, but they've not only been united to Christ, they've been united to one another. Right? So there's like a vertical component to salvation, and there's also like a horizontal component. They've been united to one another, and it's, it's their uniting kind of on a horizontal plane to one another that makes them the church, right? But the church is more than just a gathering of people, right? The church is, uh, it, it serves a greater, a deeper purpose in the lives of those who are part of it. It was true in Ephesians. It's true now, right? The church, the gathered community of uh, followers of Jesus Christ, the gathered community of disciples is more than just kind of like a thing we do once a week. Okay, and so that brings me to uh, verse 19. So let me read 19 through 22. And that's what we'll spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. So Ephesians 2 verse 19, Paul writes this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. So here's kind of two big themes in the text this morning that we're going to sort of unpack. Two big ideas. That's that the church is a place of belonging and the church is a place of building. Right? Belonging, building. So right, let's talk about those starting with belonging. Right, go back to verse 19. Look at how Paul addressing the church in Ephesus, look at what he says about them. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here's the gist, right, right out of the gate, verse 19, is that the church is not just a place to be, it is a people to belong to. The church is not just a place to be, it's a people to belong to. And he uses a couple of metaphors to, to prove his point. He talks about citizenship, and then he talks about family. All right, let's even unpack those a little bit. And he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Um, in, in the first century, really even today, but, but particularly, remember Paul's writing, first century, uh, citizenship was a big deal, right? a really big deal. And so 
Uh, Paul, if you rewind, you go back and look at Acts 22, there was a moment in Paul's life where um, we, we see his citizenship like actually benefiting him in significant ways. And he, was, uh, he had been arrested. He was about to be flogged by uh, the Roman government uh, until right at the very last moment, Paul says, hey, are you about to flog a Roman citizen? And he's about to be beaten at the hands of the Roman government until he's, he points out like, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And so the reason that's a big deal is because to, to flog or to beat a Roman citizen without giving them the proper uh, sort of due process, like that was a big no-no. Right, so Paul's preaching Jesus, uh, kind of defying the Roman government a little bit, and they're like, we're going to handle this guy. But he's like, no, 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 you can't just do that. I'm a Roman citizen here. Right, his citizenship gave him some rights uh, to some appeals and sort of legal processes that otherwise he would not have had were he not a citizen of Rome. Right, the whole last six, seven chapters of the book of Acts is Paul kind of going through that process, appealing from one person to the next person to the next person. His citizenship granted him some rights because he was a citizen of the Roman kingdom. Um, because that's what citizenship is. It's, a, uh, it's an acknowledgement, right? it's a recognition that you have a rightful place within a kingdom or within a nation or within a society. Right? You have access to the, to the rights that come with your citizenship. Okay, now, now that's earthly citizenship. Okay, but Paul here is talking about uh, a different kind of citizenship, but we can still learn from that, or I still learn from the language of, of what it means to be a citizen. Paul here is talking about being a citizen of, of a kingdom that is not of this world. Okay, he, he would say it like this in Philippians. Um, he, he wrote to the church there and he says, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, I think is the way that he phrases it. And so um, it's, it's through believing the gospel, through trusting in Jesus Christ, that you are granted citizenship into a kingdom that is not of this world. Right? A kingdom that cannot be shaken regardless of what happens to the kingdoms in this world. Right? You are a citizen of a, a kingdom that transcends the kingdoms of this world. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but all the kingdoms of this world are temporary. Right? They're temporary. You look through history. Even biblical history, the Egyptian empire, once the biggest kingdom in the known world, doesn't exist anymore. The Roman empire, which the, the New Testament was written into, most powerful kingdom maybe ever in the history of the world. And now you can go walk through the ruins. Right? The, even America, as great and awesome as it is, is temporary. It's an experiment. So Paul says your citizenship is to a higher kingdom, a kingdom that transcends that kingdom. Right? And, and because of that, right, if you've truly believed on the name of Jesus, your citizenship is irrevocable. Right? In other words, this is where you, this is where you belong as a citizen of, of the kingdom. And you have all the rights and all the privileges uh, pertaining thereto. I think that's what my degree says at the bottom of it. Right? But, but here's... But here's the reality. We talk about this kingdom that's right, not of this world. Uh, our citizenship is in heaven. But the reality is, is we're not there yet. Right? Like I, I know the song from the 80s, you know, heaven is a place on earth. It's not true. 
Right, is it Carlisle? I don't know. I think pretty sure it came out in 87, which is like the year I was born. So, right, I'm not familiar with it, but yeah. So, right, heaven is not a place on earth. So, so, so we're citizens of a kingdom that transcends the kingdoms of this world. But we're not fully citizens yet because that kingdom's not realized. So you and I exist here in this in-between, right? In between the, the already, we're already citizens, and the not yet. Like we're not yet there. In fact, that, listen, all of the Christian life is lived in between the already and the not yet. Until Jesus returns, we're going to live in that tension between this is what's already true of us, but we've not yet fully experienced it. And so it's in this in-between, in, in between the already and the not yet, that the church right, functions as sort of this embassy of a future kingdom. Right, the, the church is an imperfect but visible image of the kingdom that is to come. And so we, when we talk about citizenship, right, you, this is this is part of that kingdom that you're a citizen of if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You're part of the church. Part of the church. The, the embassy of a future kingdom. And, and here's what that means for you. It means like you, you belong here. You don't have to fear. Like you don't have to hide. Right? If you've trusted in Jesus, this is where you belong. You don't have to fear being found out are being deported. Right? This is where you belong as a citizen of the kingdom that is to come. Right? But then Paul takes that language of, um, of sort of belonging even further because he, he goes on. He says, not only are you fellow citizens with the saints, but you're members of the household of God. Right? So not only are you citizens of a kingdom, but you're family. Right, through faith in Jesus Christ, you're not only granted citizenship into the kingdom of heaven, as incredible as that is, right, but you're also adopted into God's family. I mean, think about this. It's one thing to be a citizen of a kingdom, but isn't it something else entirely to be a son or daughter of the king? And that's what Paul says here. Right? As a son, you, you are a son, a daughter of the creator of the universe. Kind of gives a, like a whole new perspective to like my dad can beat your dad up. You know what I'm saying? I know it does for my kids because their dad ain't beating nobody up. Right? I got a pretty long wingspan. I can get like one hit and then I got to run because that's all I'm good for. Okay? Um, but this is what the church is. It's a family. The church is not like a family. The church is a family. Right? And it's, that's, like a, that's a whole different level of intimacy and comfort than, than merely being a citizen, as great as being a citizen is. Right? Generally speaking, think about your family, kind of your earthly family. Generally speaking, a family is a group of people who you can just kind of be yourself around. Right? Like you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. At least I hope that's the case with your family. Right? You, you, don't have to, you don't have to be reserved 
when you're with your family. Right? It's, family is a group of people among whom it's, it's okay to not always be okay. Right? Family is a group of people that you can speak truth to one another and say hard things to one another and know that it comes from a place of love. Right? Family is a people uh, among whom right, you can be fully known and be fully loved, which whether you realize it or not, that's what your heart longs for, to be fully known in all your brokenness and sin and imperfections and still be loved even in that. And that's what, that's what the church is. We're a family. And these things that are, I hope are true of your biological family should be true of your spiritual family. Right? Because this is a place to belong. Right? The church is a place of belonging. Just as, just as you belong as a citizen, you belong as a family member in the household of God. But, Here's what I also know is, is that doesn't just come easy, right? To kind of, uh, to experience that sort of familial relationship where it's okay to not be okay, where it's, you don't have to fear being found out, where you don't have to sort of be reserved. Like that doesn't just happen naturally. Okay? It comes with uh, proximity and presence, consistent presence, close proximity with one another. In other words, you, you, you won't experience those things in the church unless you show up often and you're willing to be a little vulnerable. Like you're willing to show up uh, just as often as you can, but you're also willing to like get in close contact with people and get to know people and have conversations with people. Right? And, and let's, be, let's be real. That can be awkward sometimes. That can be inconvenient sometimes. That can be uncomfortable sometimes. That can be messy sometimes. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but no one in here is perfect. We've all got some baggage. You get a bunch of imperfect people with baggage in close relationship with one another, like things can get messy. But what I'm telling you is it's, it's worth every bit of effort, it's worth every bit of energy to pursue that family relationship with your church family because this is God's good design for his children. You've been adopted into God's family, but you're not adopted in as an only child. You've got some brothers and sisters. Okay, The church is not just a place to be, it's a people to belong to. That was the first point. Okay? Now, to be fair, talking about belonging, community, there are a lot of places you can experience that in the world. Right? If you're just looking for a place to belong, looking to a, a community to belong to, I mean, you can find that as a, a fan of a sports team. Right? If you need a sports team to root for, I would advocate for the University of Kentucky Wildcats. Um, we looked good yesterday, that's all I'm saying. Okay? You can find that community and that belonging as a fan of a sports team, you can find it uh, among your coworkers. You can find it at CrossFit. You can find it on your Thursday night co-ed pickleball league. I don't know if that's a thing, but felt right to say it. Okay, I've never played. I hear it's fun. Right? 
You can find community in all those places, but, but here's what distinguishes the church community or the, the belonging here. Here's what distinguishes it from uh, the, the infinite other communities you, you might find belonging in. And that's the second point, is the church is a place of building. Right? We, we just talked about the church as a place of belonging, but the church is a place of building. So let me read, let me read this again, but I want you to like perk up your ears and listen to the language of, of building that's going on here. So, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, right? That's a, that's a building term. In whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, are, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right? The, the church is not just a building, but it is a place of building. It's a place for you as a citizen, as a member of the household of God, to be uh, built up, edified, encouraged, strengthened, right? That, that, that's what the church is. It's a place of building. And then um, he gives us some clues there into to how we're built up. Right? The first thing he says, um, I would say first we're built up primarily by the word of God. Right? Paul says as citizens and members of, of God's family, we're, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So you kind of take those two groups of people, the apostles and the prophets. The apostles were those who uh, walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus, they ministered with Jesus. And uh, you look at the early church in Acts 2, it was uh, as the church began to grow, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right, when they gathered together as local church bodies, they devoted themselves to the teaching of Peter and James and John and, and all the apostles. Okay? And then not only that, you also have prophets. And the prophets were those who, who God chose to, to reveal his word to his people. So what you've got here is, is God's word being shared either through, through the apostles, through the prophets. And Paul says that's the foundation we're, we're built on, the teaching or, or the communication of God's word to his people. And so the church, to be built on this foundation, is to be built on, strengthened by, edified by uh, the, the teaching of the Word of God. Right? That's, why the, that's why the preaching and teaching of the Word will always be central. Right? It will always be the most important part of what we do. Right? The, should the day come where, where like, preaching the Word is not central to what happens here, like, you need to fire me. Or you need to go find another church. Right? Because this is, this is central. This is the foundation that the church is, is built on. Right? It's why a, a good bulk of my time each week goes towards trying to prepare you something, like something to feed you. That's what Peter's or Jesus' words to Peter, right? feed my sheep. A bulk of my time each week goes towards trying to prepare something to feed you with that is helpful and substantive. 
And I could, like, I don't want to offer you some sort of like microwaved, prepackaged meal every week. Right? Because, I mean, I, I could. I mean, I could do that. It would save me some time in the week. But like, that's not helpful to you. Right? When, think about when you go out to eat. Wouldn't you rather have something that's like, man, somebody spent some time cooking this up? Like, this is good stuff. Right? That's why a bulk of my time goes to that this week because the last thing I want to do is just come up here and talk and tell you a bunch of stories and sprinkle in some, some Bible verses. Right? I, I want to give you something like with meat on the bones, something substantive that's going to get you through the week, right? get you beyond the week. Right? And, and more than that, as much I want to give that to you, but I also know that one day I'm going to stand before God for what I taught you. And, and, I don't, and I don't want to be accused by the creator of the universe for leaving his children malnourished. Right? So the church is built on the teaching of, of God's word. It, it has to be, because really apart from this, like a, apart from this, I've got nothing for you. Like apart from this, like I, I, don't, I don't have any authority. I've got none. And apart from this, I've got nothing worth listening to. So the, the church is built on the Word of God. And yet as, as important as the Word of God is, the teaching of the Word of God is, as important as it is, and it is, it's foundation, uh, there is one component of the foundation that's more important than all the other parts. And that's the cornerstone, which is what Paul says here, right? We're built, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Right? I am not a mason. Um, I dabble in home improvement stuff. I'm currently trying to put a backsplash in my kitchen. My wife wishes I would hurry up and get it done. That has nothing to do with the cornerstone, by the way. But um, cornerstone, the most important like, block in the building because everything else, everything else in the building is contingent on, dependent on that cornerstone. You get the cornerstone wrong, you get the rest of the house wrong. Right? You get that one block a little wonky, then, then everything else is, is out of square and out of place. And so this is, this is what it is with the church. The cornerstone that the church is built on is the gospel message. The good news of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. Like if we don't get that right, if, if we got that thing wrong, it doesn't matter what else we do, it ain't worth it. Right? If we don't get that one thing right, we're not really even a church. And because the church is not an affinity group of people who look the same, think the same, vote the same. Right? The, the church is um, it's a gathering of men and women and children that have come face to face with the reality of their sin and brokenness and helplessness, and need for a Savior. And who in that awareness right, believe that Jesus Christ met their need for a Savior. 
Right? The church is, the, is the, the gathering of men, women, children who believe that Jesus, uh, that Jesus Christ met their need in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. Right? Before anything else, it's, it's the gospel that binds us together. Right? That is central. Right? More, than, more than race, more than ethnicity, more than uh, your, your political persuasion, more than your socioeconomic status, more than uh, your background, more than your life experiences. It's the gospel that brings us together. Right? It's the, that's the good news that the church is founded on. Right? The teaching of God's word, and God's word points to, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're built by the word of God. We're built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last thing I want you to see is that we're built and we're edified and we're strengthened together. And look at verse 21. It talks about this structure that we're built, being built into. It says we're being joined together. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord in whom in him, you also are being built together. If, if Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and God's word makes up the rest of the foundation, then you and I are like the building blocks. They're being stacked together. We're being stacked and shaped alongside of one another. And it's, it's our togetherness. It's together that we're being built into a dwelling place for, for God, a, a place that reflects his goodness and his glory to the world around us. Right, here's how Paul says it a couple chapters later in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. Again, I don't think it's on the screens, but you can turn, turn over a page if you need to. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right? The, the language there is that, that this is a place where like all of us are doing our part. Right, all of us are invested and involved and living in relationship with one another and encouraging one another and strengthening one another and edifying one another and uh, admonishing one another when we need to. It's, it's this togetherness. It's, that's how the body is built up. That's how the church is built up, together. So to put it bluntly, the, the New Testament has no category, no category, for a Christian that is not connected to the church. Right? To be a Christian is to be a member of the body. And to be a member of the body means like, like there's other parts of the body. I won't rehash all that. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Right? But, but to be adopted into God's family means you're, you're adopted. You're going to be surrounded by brothers and sisters. And these brothers and sisters are, are God's appointed means to grow you and to edify you and strengthen you and shape you and to help you be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, to that end, kind of the, the idea that the, 
the Christian life is sort of a community building project. If you know where I'm going with that. Um, there was a 19th century preacher. Many of you are probably familiar with the name Charles Spurgeon. Um, th- this is what he said about the sort of togetherness of the church. Um, I may have read this before. If I haven't, there is a 100% chance I will read it again at some point in the future because it's that good. Uh, but here's what he said about the church being together. He says, Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, The church is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. And he goes on, and later he says this, As I have already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for your not joining it, if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not, I love this, the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners, and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. What's crazy about Spurgeon is like he didn't preach with notes. Like he just came up with that off the top of his head. Brilliant. Okay. Anyways, the church is a place of belonging. The church is a place of building. The church is a place where we, as fellow citizens and family, are uh, are built up, encouraged, strengthened, edified together on the foundation of the gospel and the word of God. I hope that's why you love your church. As great as all those sort of surface level things are, I hope this is why you love your church. So here's my question to you. And I'll give a couple of sort of maybe practical considerations for you and then we'll, we'll pray. My question for you is this. Is have you given yourself to the church? And that's how he started the, the quote there. Give yourself to the church. Have you given yourself to the church. Okay, so here's things, a few things for you to consider depending on, I don't know where everyone is in the room this morning, but um, I, got, I got four things. First, before you give yourself to the church, you have to give yourself to the Savior. Right? If, if you've never agreed that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, 
you've never believed that Jesus Christ died and rose again to save you from your sin, that's the first step in giving yourself to the church. That, that's Really, that's the first step to being a part of the church. And so if you're here this morning and you've, you're like, man, I don't think I've ever done that, or I've just got some questions, maybe some, some experience happened when you were younger, but you can't really remember it fully, and you're just like, I don't, I don't know. I would love to have that conversation with you. We're going to have a time of response here in a minute. The band's going to come and sing. If you want to come have a conversation down front, we can do that. If you want to catch me after service is dismissed, we can do that. We'd love to walk you th- through what it means to trust in Jesus as, as your Savior. So that was the first one. Here's the second one. I'm talking about giving yourself to the church. Maybe you're here and, and you've done that. Right? You've put your trust in Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized. Right? That is your next step in giving yourself to the church. Right? Baptism is a, it's an outward symbol. It's how you publicly identify as a member of Christ church. You, you publicly identify yourself as a believer and then a part of the church. So if, you've, if you're here and you're like, man, I've, I know I'm a Christian. I've trusted in Jesus. Like he, he is my Savior. I'm counting on Him for the forgiveness of my sin, but you've never been baptized. That's your next step. And I can't predict the future, but I have reason to believe that we're, we're going to be scheduling some baptisms here fairly soon. And so if, if that's something you're like, I need to take that step Come see me. Right? We will have that conversation. We will do our best to get you on the schedule and get you baptized. Right? Baptism does not save you, but it is an important step in announcing to this church and ultimately to the world that you are saved. So if that's you this morning, let's have that conversation. So here's the third thing. Maybe you've trusted in Jesus. Maybe you've been baptized, and maybe you've been coming around here for a while, but you've never actually formally committed yourself to this church, right? to this local body of believers, right? through what we would call membership. And if that's you, I would just gently ask the question, what's stopping you? Now, maybe you're like, I got some baggage. So do we. Come on in. Right? Or maybe you're looking at us and you're like, I don't know, that church has got some issues. So do you. Right? <laughs> Come on in. Right? Either, either way, it's fine. Right? We'll, we'll work through that together. That's what family does. But if you're here, you're, you're, a, you're a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized, but you, you've never joined us as members, but you're like, this is what I call my church home. Like, Come on in. Right? Come on in. The water's fine. Right, so that was three. Here's, here's the fourth thing, all right? And this will fall on many of you, I know. Is that many of you are, you are members of this, this church, this local body of believers. You have generously given your time, your money, your, your effort, your blood, your sweat, your tears to this place and to this gathering of people. And that is no small commitment. That is no small commitment. And I know if you've been here for, for any longer than I have, some of you guys have been here longer than I have, it's not been the easiest commitment in the world. 
Right? But if I could offer you just one word of encouragement about giving yourself to the church, have you know the Lord sees your commitment. Right? He, he knows your sacrifice to this people. He sees it, he knows it, and he rejoices to see you as his adopted child giving yourself, loving the church that he gave his own life for. So my encouragement to you is is to continue to give yourself to the church. Do not grow weary in doing good. That's what Paul said to the Galatians. Do not grow weary in serving, in giving, in discipling, in praying, in loving. Do not grow weary in giving yourself to the church because in due season, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. All right, so there's your considerations. We pray for us. The band's going to come and sing, and uh, we'll respond in worship and however the Lord leads us. All right, let's pray together. Father, um, again, just a, a privilege that we get to call you Father. Uh, that they, you have adopted us into your family, into your household. Uh, and, and we gather here this morning with brothers and sisters sitting in the row with us or in front of us or behind us. Um, Lord, Lord, this is the local family that you've made us a part of. If, uh, if we are your children, we've trusted in you. We thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the church. Lord, just all throughout history, Lord, none of us in this room would be here were it not for various members of your church loving and serving and giving and uh, praying. So we thank you for your church. Lord, throughout history, we thank you that we get to be a part of your church today. And I pray, Father, that as we consider what it looks like for us to, to give ourselves to the church, Lord, this institution that you have established in your infinite wisdom as a place for us to belong, as a place for us to be built up and strengthened and encouraged and edified. Um, Father, I I pray that, Lord, however we need to respond this morning, I pray that you would help us to give ourselves to the church all the more. For some, maybe that's we need to step into a relationship with Jesus, the head of the church. For some, Maybe we need to be baptized to publicly identify ourselves as members of the church. For some, maybe we need to join, kind of formally commit to this group of people as the church. And then for many in this room, and we just need to be encouraged and reminded that, um, Lord, the church is your plan. The church is your plan to reach the world. There is no plan B. And so help us to be diligent in loving, serving, praying, discipling, all the things that you've called us to do and be as your church. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.